Welcome to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. My name's Tammy Simon. I'm the founder of Sounds True. And I'd love to take a moment to introduce you to the new Sounds True Foundation. The Sounds True Foundation is dedicated to creating a wiser and kinder world by making transformational education widely available. We want everyone to have access to transformational tools such as mindfulness, emotional awareness, and self-compassion, regardless of financial, social, or physical challenges. The Sounds True Foundation is a nonprofit dedicated to providing these transformational tools to communities in need, including at-risk youth, prisoners, veterans, and those in developing countries. If you'd like to learn more or feel inspired to become a supporter, please visit SoundsTrueFoundation.org. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Adyashanti. Adyashanti is an American-born spiritual teacher devoted to serving the awakening of all beings. His teachings are an open invitation to stop, inquire, and recognize what is true and liberating at the core of existence. His books include The End of Your World, Uncensored Straight Talk on the Nature of Enlightenment, Emptiness Dancing, and a new book called The Most Important Thing. In this conversation, Adya, as he's called by friends and students, talks about the new wake-up challenge that he's created with Sounds True, a 30-day program where you're invited to engage in a series of pointing-out exercises that Adya delivers in 10 to 15 minutes a day for 30 days. The idea is that you listen to Adya guide you through each daily exercise, and then you repeat the exercise on your own several times throughout the 30-day challenge. The exercises serve as pointers designed to evoke different intuitive insights into what it's actually like to be spiritually awake, so we can shift out of our identification with being a separate self and discover in our own experience what could be called the enlightened view. The Wake Up Challenge begins at Sounds True on August 15th, and it runs for 30 days and includes two live question and answer sessions with Adyashanti. You can find out more at SoundsTrue.com. And now, here's my conversation about the wake-up challenge with Adyashanti. Well, Adya, one of the best parts of my job here at Sounds True is getting to have conversations like this with you and getting to create new projects with you. And it wasn't that long ago that you and I were having dinner, and I mentioned to you that one of the interests that we've been hearing from the Sounds True audience is we'd love to have more teachings that were short and daily. Can't you just help us, Tammy? Can you help us discover the depth of the spiritual journey in 10 minutes a day or less? Is it possible? And I was sharing this with you, and the fruit of our conversation was something that you came to call the wake-up challenge. The wake-up challenge. 30 days, less than 10 minutes a day. And as I've described this to some people, that Adyashanti is offering a wake-up challenge, less than 10 minutes a day for 30 days, I do get met with some mixed responses. And one of them is a kind of like, aren't you over-promising, Tammy? How did you and Adya cook something like this up? (laughs) Oh, ne- never. That that's actually a, a good a good reflection. I never would have I never thought of it to begin with. Um, the reason I wanted to frame it as sort of a challenge um, is two things, because I wanted to take like the most succinct, what I think of as sort of pointing out instructions, um, point, which are basically pointing awareness and attention and consciousness. In, dire- in directions that, that are really conducive to awakening, but may not often aren't necessarily like intuitively obvious. Um, and the second part, I wanted to have it like the challenge part of it, is I wanted to like actually 
challenge people, like, what if we all just, like, um, committed to something? Not like, well, maybe it'll, maybe something will happen in, you know, whatever, a decade or two decades or sometime in this lifetime. But what if we kind of uh, brought, contextualize it so that we, like, bring all of ourselves to these, to, like, these 10 or 15 minutes a day for 30 days, which actually ends up to be a lot to ask of somebody, you know, in their, in their late, for any of us to, like, you know, to really, really, really show up in, in, a, in a really committed way even for a short period of time, is is not the most common thing in the world that we do. We often show up like 90%, maybe something less than that. Now, Aja, after you and I spoke and at dinner and you said, okay, a wake-up challenge, short daily, this is interesting. I feel excited about it. I have a feeling about it. You designed this 30-day program, and you created a certain architecture for it. And I wonder if you can share with our listeners the design of the program and how this occurred to you, why this occurred to you, why you thought it would, to use your language, would work, would be effective. Sure. Um, so at least those, those, those people that are familiar with my teachings over, like, say, an arc of time, whether it's the last five years or 10 years or 15 years, as as time's gone on, of course, the people that come to me, there's always a lot of new people, but there's a lot of old people. So, But there's a change in the spiritual culture, and more people have had various kinds of spiritual shifts, and, and more people are looking into sort of all this uh, more sort of subtle and complex um, nature of of awakening and embodiment and living what we realize and all of that, which is so important. So I've been giving a lot of focus to it. But also, I've noticed for years now, I've actually have thought about kind of creating what we ended up creating, actually. But I probably had this bouncing around in my head for the last five years. And I thought, but also as sort of a, a counter to some of that complexity and subtlety and all of that, that you know, can it can be easy to kind of lose your way in all of that, in a kind of really subtle teaching. I thought what I really wanted to do also was to really focus something that's exclusively on trying to evoke different dimensions of sort of what I think of as the the awakened view. And one of the things, another one of those things that experiences has taught me is, you know, when you're when we're looking into a certain dimension of the human experience, the more we can sort of isolate it and focus on it, the quicker we can get somewhere with it. You know, later, I think we want to go, we want to integrate the vast variety of human experiences, spiritual and otherwise, into a bigger, into sort of a bigger vision or, you know, a bigger, a total version of a human being, actually. But, I think it's really important because I've seen when you really focus down on something that's very specific and, arch- and, and articulated very specifically, that that becomes really powerful. And since there's still a huge number of people that come to me that, that really don't, they feel like, well, I read about these interesting shifts of perspective, and, but I haven't really had one, or maybe I've had one, one kind, but some other kind I haven't had, or, you know, all these kind of things I've I thought I would really like to just see how stripped down of a version of awakening teachings that I could that I could provide again not simply through the intellectual exercising of stripping them down because my experience is they get more powerful and they get more potent the more you do strip them down and articulate them in the in the most concise way possible so this isn't like a a 30-day wake-up challenge is not a lifetime of spiritual teaching. There's, like I said, there's a whole arena of complexity and subtlety and embodiment, and there's so much, so much to spirituality. But I've always seen that um, to have one of these, or almost, I think of often our 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 initial awakenings are almost like initiatory experiences, like we're being initiated into a different way of of seeing ourselves and and seeing life and experiencing things and and although it's by no means 
the completion of spirituality to be initiated into something early at least we know what we're at least we know then what we're working towards right and awakening is no longer theory and so that's what i when i was putting this together those are the kind of thoughts that i had had in mind and i had a very specific sort of i guess you could say audience in mind you know somebody that like i was when i was young and I was like, man, I really want to know what this awakening thing is. I don't know what it is. I read about it. It's intriguing, but but I don't know what it is, but for some weird reason, I deeply want to know what it is. And um, and I used to just scour bookstores and books by the hundreds looking for, you know, those little sentences that just sort of strike you and they ring like a bell and you know they're significant for you. I think when that happens, something's being evoked in yeah. us. Yeah. And that's what I think I'm not on. I'm like most, almost probably most of your listeners have done this, right? Read, gone on the internet, read through the books, listen to the tapes and CDs, and you're looking for those, those moments where the little bell rings in you, that you, something goes, oh, I think something just got evoked in my experience. It's significant and you feel it. And although... I won't, almost certainly won't achieve this with anywhere remotely like 100% success, but my, the, the North Star that I was aiming at when I did this, Tammy, is I thought, um, what if I stripped it down so as many, as much as what I say has the potential to be one of those, those evocative or evoking statements? So that's really the wake-up challenge is boiling everything down to um, as sort of potent as as I can make things. And and you created this architecture, Adya, of four different progressive weeks. Can you explain that? Yeah, sorry. I kind of skipped past that whole point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this kind of goes into basically, and this is, you know, this is a, a simplification, but but I'm a big fan of simplification. I'm, I'm a bottom-line thinker. I like it. Good. All right. And I'm also very pragmatic. So I think of this in terms of sort of three awakenings. They're not always linear in the way I lay them out. Sometimes you get like a package deal, all three in one moment of insight. Sometimes you get more one, but a little bit the others, but the other one's a little hazy. So anyway, even though these will sound like they're totally linear, I don't necessarily mean them to be heard that way, although they often unfold this way. The first one is I call awakened to awareness. That's basically where we wake up from our, from our sort of ego-constructed and oriented identity to, uh, an, to a sense of being founded on something more like being or awareness, right? a, a formless dimension of being. The second one is what I call awakening to heart, the heart. Now, the heart to me, I'm not just, this isn't just, of course, the physical heart. We could say it's the whole area in and around the chest orient of the body is the heart is not only where we feel our emotions and feelings, but there's, there's also this perceptual, this subtle perceptual capability we have, but it's generally not not online. It's generally not being utilized. It's in a certain sense, it's just sort of there in a, I guess you could say in a, in a sleep way or a potential way. When we awaken at the level of heart, that's when we experience the unity of being, whether you think of it theistically and you look all around you and everywhere you see is God, including the eyes that are looking at that, or everything's Buddha nature, or everything's awareness, or Somehow, just intuitively, everything seems to be participating in some some unified vision. Um, and of course, that's the, the the kind of sense of connectedness and love and meaning. These flow out of the awakened heart. Actually, they don't necessarily flow awakened out of awakened awareness, but they certainly flow out of awakened heart. The third one is awakening to the ground of being, which is. In a modern context, you could think of that as the absolute ground or perhaps the source of, of the human psyche, the source of our entire experience of being. Um, 
And then we're accessing even, we're accessing something deeper than the clear space of awareness of awakened uh, awareness. We're, we're, we're actually getting something deeper than, or more fundamental, let's say, than even the unity of being. We're kind of getting almost something more, more like the source of being, although that's a tricky word to use. But, um, and that's generally the, the more challenging um, realization to have. So these kind of go down this hierarchy and awakened awareness is the most accessible for most people. Awakened heart, a little less. Awakened ground of being that has our sort of deepest, um, our deepest sort of non-conceptual defense mechanisms against it. And then the fourth, which is really, really important, it's not necessarily an insight or, or, or an awake, awakening moment, but it's in many ways what all this aims at, right? What makes it relevant. And that is, I call it, putting it all together, which is we can have these insights, not even awakenings. I think just we all have our, our moments of insight, our, our deeper moments of clarity, and we also all have an instinct to, gee, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it make for a more amazing life to be able to live from our depth more often than we often do? And that, of course, involves integrating our insights, our awakenings, our, our experiences of, of all kinds. And um, so I try to touch upon that um, in the last section of the program of, of sort of putting this, putting this, at least beginning to put it all together and what that might look like and some pragmatic, practical means of doing that, because that's the theme of this whole wake-up challenge. It is... I try to make it as pragmatic and as tangible as as humanly possible. Okay, so I have some questions here, Adya, having had a preview of the Wake Up Challenge, which is, you know, I think a lot of people, when they hear about spiritual awakening, this shift out of being identified with being a separate mind and body, and discovering awareness, being, they follow this first level that you introduce. They're awakening yeah. to awareness. But actually, yeah. this second phase that you introduce, awakening to the heart, you call it the spiritual heart. I've noticed a lot of people don't seem to make it to the spiritual heart. And I'm I'm very yeah. intrigued by this. And Me what too. is it in your experience that really helps people discover what you call the spiritual heart? Well, it's a great, great question. Um, I think the first thing is, the first thing is just, is just recognizing, oh, there might be something called a spiritual heart, and it might actually be really, really, really useful. The challenge, of course, of the spiritual heart is that we tend to have a lot of wounding around our hearts. You know, we've all been through the things we've got, we've been through in life, and some people much more challenging than other people, but you don't get more than a couple decades without going through some really challenging stuff. And so we tend to sort of emotionally barricade ourselves and our hearts are comprised of all sorts of emotional experiences that we, we've never really integrated or been allowed to course through our system. So that's kind of what we're encountering. And, um, so when people often simply put their mere attention on their heart, it's not at all unusual that people will say, gee, I have some sort of weird pain, or there seems to be some constriction, or I feel sadness, or, or a sense of meaningless. You know, what's, what's there will often show up simply through the mere attention on the, um, on the heart. And yet, so in the wake-up challenge, of course, we're not, you're not going to, process all of the conflicted emotions uh, of, your, of your human heart, although you may go a long, surprisingly long way in doing that, potentially. But, um, but so I like to define the human heart, like that vulnerable, fragile thing that can get hurt and then it gets afraid and it protects itself and all of that. But that, that is enfolded into a sort of bigger dimension of being, and that's why what I call the spiritual heart. That, that dimension in you that's, that is um, 
it's where we ultimately experience something even deeper than, um, you know, willingness to be emotionally vulnerable and things like that, but we actually can feel connected with existence. And I think that's our primary Western dilemma right now, actually, Tammy, is, is a disconnection from actual from our actual experience of being. We tend to live in these sort of abstracted lives so much in our in our minds and um and to various extents caught up in whatever our emotional and and intellectual narrative of the moment is, those can be, you know, so very painful. But I think it's a really important part of spirituality and I've it's one of the reasons I think I've given more focus to it in the last few years because I've seen like that, wow, in the West, we really need to connect to the heart. Like look around our culture, look around our society and look at the, you know, some of the impulses that are, that are, um, that are driving us on, on all sides. And I think it really shows like, boy, this heart component is, is um, really important. So what I try to do in the wake-up challenge is start, again, like some really pragmatic things, like, because I think it's, you can, you could, you may be terrified to go swimming in the ocean, but you can probably dip your front toe in, in, at the edge of the water. And what I found, if you can, if I can get somebody to dip their front toe, metaphorically speaking, at the edge of the water, then they'll go, hmm, maybe I'm ready to put my foot in. And maybe I can get in now up to my waist and I can feel safe and okay. And now that I've done that with a little encouragement, I'll be darned. Maybe I'll go for a very short swim. And I just tried to come up with these practical ways of, if I summed them up, a lot of them would be, would be trying to move someone into the place where they feel just a little emotionally uncomfortable, almost without saying this directly, but in essence, what I'm, what I'm inviting them to do is like, can you hang out there for a little bit? Like, don't try to push too far, just hang out there. And as you hang out there, does it start to feel safer? And then can you, can you continue to open from there? Because I think what a lot of people are trying to do is make these immense leaps. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. gee, my heart is terrified and I'm, I'm so, and I have really good reasons for being very suspicious of of vulnerability and intimacy and closeness, because I've had some terrible experiences with that, and a spiritual teacher comes along and just says, well, you just got to throw your heart open in devotion. And, okay, hey, if you can do that, good for you. But what I found is, boy, it doesn't actually take very long to just sort of encourage somebody, like like I said, like, how about 10%? Let's just open 10%. Let's see how that feels, and let yourself feel what you feel when you do that. And see, how, and see if you can emotionally digest that level of insecurity. And what people find is, if you don't ask them to do too much too fast, very quickly they go, I can do that. All right, Aja, well, let's go for it. Let's dip our toe in the water of the spiritual heart, help people really know and feel what that is, that view. I'm now in the spiritual heart experiencing the world, experiencing myself. Right, right. Okay. So I'm going to give you, um, uh, this is one of my favorite exercises. It's something that most people are probably going to do after they're listening to this program, but because it's such a cool one, I'm going to tell it to you anyway. So, just putting attention on, uh, on the heart, right? Just, you just kind of rest it there. And the key to all this stuff with, is with as much ease as possible, right? So you don't get too, too hyper-focused. With as much ease as possible, you just sort of rest an attention on the heart. And you might just look at something in your surroundings. Like, so people, most people are probably going to be listening to this you know, they might be in a room, who knows, maybe they'll be driving a car, I don't know. But there's something to look at, and you just look at it the way you normally would look at anything, any, any old object. And you just look at it for a moment, just choose an object. could even be a wall, or the sun outside, or the sky, or whatever. And then after you've just looked at it in a very casual, ordinary way, 
then simply have the intention with your attention sort of just residing in heart area. Look at the same thing again, but also imagine that you are kind of looking at it through your heart at the same time. Now, of course, this is sort of an intuitive thing. You're not, you're not going to get your eyeballs down into your heart or anything, but it's like you are emotionally engaging, let's say, with what you're looking at. And you just look at, look at it for a moment and you kind of feel, feel whatever you're looking at. And I have yet to have a person tells, that tells me I experience absolutely no difference. Every time someone will say, there's something different. I can't say exactly what it is. Now, the even more interesting version of this is today when you're walking down the hallway or down the sidewalk and you're going to walk up towards, let's say, a stranger, and you know how you just pass each other. And an, an interesting experiment to do is, is when you get within about 20 or 30 feet of the stranger you're just going to walk past without saying anything to, imagine that you're just reaching up to the front of you, like right at your chest, and you're just like pulling your, your breastbone open or your, you're, just, you're just opening some, some veil, that's, that's energetic veil that's there without you even knowing it. And so when you walk past the person, just have the feeling you're just pulling back this little veil from your heart, and as you walk past them, you'll notice that you feel it's a very different feeling. These are just the, like, little foretastes of, of beginning to experience a moment in a more connected, even intimate way. And this is sort of and when we go, if we were to take this more towards the awakening part, then we just keep um, keep delving into including that intuitive capacity because the the heart as a perceptual center, not just an emotive center, but a perceptual center. It's you're you're bringing something online that's highly intuitive, and so to see through the heart, like I said, you just go through the day and you start looking at things at odd moments. And you just imagine, what would it be like if I actually felt into what I'm looking at, if I, if I engage from the heart? And it's one of these practices that sounds quaint and overly simplistic and not, pretend, you know, not the most transformative thing in the world, but when people actually do it, um, every time they tend to come back with their jaws a little bit on the floor. Like, wow, there's a whole different way of moving through life and um, in a connected way. That, and this is before even having any kind of awakening on the level of heart, you know. And that's a great thing because, boy, do we, do we need that. Is that. And people need to rediscover that, that the difference between the vulnerability of the human heart and the sort of strength and courage of the spiritual heart Right, because that's when that intuitive capacity just starts to come online. You also feel there's a feeling of just a little more stability, a little more confidence. There's um, people often tell me they just all of a sudden they had this this little upsurge in in courage. It's not like the fear disappeared, but they could they could move forth in an open, connected way anyway. And like I said, those are all precursors to kind of a, a, deeper, a deeper orientation into the heart or certainly a deeper awakening. But um, it all starts with, with attention. Let's take it further. You know, my jaw was on the floor during this part of the wake-up challenge. I found it so helpful, Adya, for somebody to be pointing out the spiritual heart. So few teachers of spiritual awakening do, as I mentioned to you. So if we're just in the precursor land, or as they say, yeah. in the foothills, take me up yeah. to the to the mountaintop of the open, <laughs> aware, awake spiritual heart. What's that like? Okay, okay. Well, we can give some uh, some some orientation in that direction for sure. Okay, 
So when we start to have that, um, the sense of the heart, that's the first thing, right? That you just notice, hey, things do seem a little different when I sort of, when I connect with the heart. Okay, things, that's, a, that's a great place to start. And so we keep, we keep going with that. So a lot of these, these little exercises that I did would be, I often began them with several times throughout the day. Number one, so we know that they're, they don't take a lot, a lot of time. But also, several times is better than um, one, one, or two, one or two times. Okay? So another one that kind of goes into that, uh, that same orientation is, so when we rest in the heart, and when we're in the heart, we're, at least to some extent, we're below the sort of conceptualizing of self all often that still there's some of that going on too. There's whatever our emotions are of that moment. Maybe we like the moment, maybe we don't. Maybe we're in resistance to it. Maybe we're perfectly fine with it. There's a, that whole environment. And then there's something else. And that something else that that sense of open availability to whatever might be being experienced at at the moment. Now, I like to approach this next little step, even though it's a sort of a transcendent and transrational realization, it does help to have some um, something that makes sense as a pointer. So let's boil this all down into something approachable, I think, for anybody. I think we could all agree that in one sense or another, we're all expressions of life, right? No life, certainly as human beings, no human beings, no cosmos, no human beings. We have all these ways that we, not, not arbitrarily, but in the end, we kind of invent these demarcation lines between ourselves and the world around us, right? So the, just the way we define a human being, you know, two legs and two arms and two eyes, and, and so it goes, able to walk upright and the rest and has the capacity for language and consciousness. But that leaves out a tremendous amount, doesn't it? That literally leaves out all of rest of life. The entirety of life that you're walking around in and experiencing yourself at every single moment. So, and yet this is a maybe useful, but at the end of the day, somewhat arbitrary line to draw because without an earth, there is no human beings. Right? Without the sun, there's no human beings. Without the stars and the water you drink and the food you eat and the people you interact with. and Like our whole cosmos around us, in one sense, we are, we are, we are an expression of that whole, whole cosmos. So just imagine that, that deeper connection, the fact that, yeah, I've been told that my, the reality of me ends at my skin, at the borders of my skin, but, but clearly that can't really be true because I'm basically dependent on all of existence to, to be here. And with it out, I wouldn't even be here. So there has to be something more than a, even more than a connection point, something even more primal and fundamental that maybe there's something about me and all of life that, that we share. Maybe we'll just call it life, right? So it doesn't sound too spiritual or too out there. We'll just call it life. In awakening of a heart, it's actually the life that becomes conscious in you. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, not life as it appears as a human being or as a tree or a cloud or the ground underfoot, but sort of life as such. Just life as such. And I think it's, well, I've certainly found by working with people, even though what I described is, it's a quick, quick version of a pretty logical argument for unity. But I think that's a really good place to start. Like, this division thing doesn't even hold up under logical analysis, mm -hmm. much less spiritual, intuitive experience. And not that we need to 
believe like, okay, my new belief is going to be, I am all of life. But you started as a possibility. And so you're looking out the window and, and you're not trying to make yourself believe something, but you're looking out there and going, okay, this life is this immense thing. And somehow it seems to have produced me and there's a consciousness of it. So is a consciousness of all this mine or maybe does it belong to something bigger than that something something like the totality of life and you just hold that as maybe as you literally just look out around the world around you that every single thing you see taste touch feel think smell is an expression of of um, of life and you're just intuitively in your heart. You're not trying to grasp, trying to have some big experience, but you're just sort of intuitively easing back into the intuitive place in the heart where you might start to feel more connected. And I think it's really important, Tammy, that we do not um, dismiss even those little moments that seem you know, unimpressive. They're not revelatory necessarily, but those little moments we feel a little more connected, like even a little moment, that's worth paying attention to. Now, Aja, one question I have is the relationship between the physical organ of the heart and the chest area in the body. I mean, you Mm -hmm. you pointed out how it helps to just bring attention to that part of our body. And then we have our emotional heart, the heart that processes all of our different, you know, happiness, sorrow, etc. And now this spiritual heart that's so strong and courageous. And how do these three, physical, emotional, and then spiritual heart, how do they connect? Well, it's kind of a funny thing. It's I don't seem as connecting as so much just existing on one spectrum, right? The whole big spectrum of of the human heart. And at the at one point of that spectrum, let's say on one side of that spectrum is the physicality of our beating, of our beating physical heart. And as that spectrum expands a little bit, there's something about the heart that's associated with feeling. Now that's something intuitive and People have felt that for thousands of years. You know, you, you don't have people talking about experiences of love and connectedness and then, and then providing images of their feet to depict that. It's always been of the heart. So there's something, there's something about even the physical reality of even the beating pump in our bodies that pump fluid through us. It's, has its, it's in some way connected with this perception of deep human experience, including spiritual experience as well. And then if we kind of push that spectrum, and of course, but with the human part of it, there's the vulnerability and we all get hurt and, and, and we, we have the consequences of that. And the nice thing is we can, for the most part, heal from most of that. And, but then on the same spectrum, if we keep going in that same spectrum, right, not connecting three things, but just pushing the spectrum a little bit more, then we kind of come almost full circle because, you know, when I'm using a word like life, your actual physical beating heart, that's a material expression of life. But there's also this other definition of life that's not just a material thing, like when you feel happiness or joy or sadness or ecstasy or something, you are experiencing life that's different kind of life than a rock is or or even your foot is like that's it there's something there's something well there's something also in the heart region that as you were mentioning or talking a moment tammy that i thought of that also in our whole chest or area is our breath right spirit and respiration has always been connected the literal physical experience of breathing in and out has also been connected with this sort of um, ephemeral, formless nature of spirit, like something that's a nothing that's actually something, like the air you breathe. In one sense, it's nothing at all, but in another sense, it's it's absolutely vital for your life. And so we, like the heart region, and then, you know, the symbolism just 
kind of goes endlessly. Then you have, you know, the cross, of, of course. And it's like the heart is where all these dimensions of being, at least as I see it, this is where they all come together, right? Like the awakened awareness or why sometimes awakened mind and awakening at the gut level, like really deep primordial. And, and then the whole human experience of being, all of this comes together and lives in the heart, right? That's why our greatest challenges and our greatest revelations always have to do with the heart. Um, and, I see it as a spectrum because I just, this whole thing of, you know, like form and formless and material hearts and spirits and, and spirit or pure awareness or pure consciousness, my experience is they all exist on one spectrum. They're almost like, you know, like you run through light through a prism and then you look at the different spectrums of light and they each look very different, but they're actually all the same light. I think there's something very akin to that that's happening when we get down to these, like like you like you were mentioning, even the physical attributes of our material heart, right down to our the spiritual heart and spirit being associated with breath and respiration and life force and um, yeah, the heart the heart's just it's really the center of being. Now, Audrey, briefly, before we conclude our conversation, believe it or not, I want to touch on the two other architectural components, if you will, of the wake-up challenge. The third one has to do with awakening to what you refer to as the ground of being. And in describing it here in this conversation, you talked about how, for many people, it's even more challenging than awakening to awareness or awakening to the spiritual heart. And in the wake-up challenge, you talk about how at this point in people's awakening process, often it can be experienced, this awakening to the ground of being as a type of death, and that there can be a lot of fear for some people at this point. And I wonder if you can describe a little bit how it's experienced as a type of death and how we deal with the fear that comes up for many of us at this point? Sure. Great. Two great questions. Um, uh, just a quick, a very, a very quick feeling. So at the level of gut, so when, when I'm say I'm talking to somebody and we're in a, a you know, room of people and I'm teaching and they're talking to me about fear, what they don't see and what the room doesn't see that 95% of their time, they put their hand on their belly without even knowing what they're doing. Right. Because so many of our fears, have to do well their survival fears and at the level of our gut if we back up a little bit at the level of our mind our sense of separation is is conceptually created with ideas and beliefs and opinions and memories and images and all that in our heart it's emotionally created there's an emotional environment that feels the most like us you could say it, it may not be a pleasant one for a lot of people, it's not, but um, fortunately, that can be that can be shifted. But at the level of of emotion, so our self is in our mind as a narrative. In our emotions, that narrative is reflected and turned into feelings and emotions and reactions and all the rest. Down in the gut, however, the self it's not it's pre pre-verbal, pre-conceptual, so it's not a thought, it's not an image, it's not a belief. It's not simply uh, an emotion or a collection of emotions that the self at the level of the gut is. If you could just, the image I use is if, if emptiness could make a fist and put itself into your gut, that would be the most primal fundamental experience of self is just sort of, and if you could give it a word, the word would be no. No to life, no to death, no, 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 right? But it's preconceptual, so it doesn't usually have, doesn't have a word. Okay, so this gets formed in, you know, 100,000 different ways, but at this, this is the most fundamental core constellation of self is just a grasping at the gut. So what do you do with it? Number one, when you get close to it, not always, so we don't want to, I don't want to create a 
unreasonable expectation that fortunately not everybody experiences fear, but it's not unusual to experience some fear because because if the self opens up at the level of gut, it doesn't got a, a deeper dimension to go to, right? It's not going to go into your head. It's not to go into your heart. It's like this is the fundamental, this is just like consciousness in a fist. Now, if that fist lets go, opens itself up, well, it's no longer going to experience itself the way it has. And that's a huge unknown and the gut is also has to do with all of our issues around survival and and death. So, but I again, Tammy, the way I try to approach this is um, because I find it's most useful. I've had a lot of time to experiment with this stuff. Um, is as pragmatic as possible. So the first thing when people feel these fears, you know. Our minds aren't necessarily good at telling us what is a reasonable and unreasonable fear, right? So if you're being chased by a lion across the plains, that's a really reasonable fear to have. If you're sitting watching a television show about a lion running and all of a sudden you get terrified that you're going to get eaten, it's an understandable fear, fear to have, but it's not really, it's not, it's not relevant to the moment because you're actually really, really, really safe. So... When people have this kind of fear come up, they're actually generally in pretty safe environments, right? Usually they're in pretty safe environments. And so often what I do is I'll just remind them, so remember, think of times in your life where you felt fear. And maybe a significant, not crushing fear, not fear that disabled you, but fear that you felt, but you were courageously able to move forward anyway, and everybody that has two decades of life under their belt, which isn't much, but even that, can come up with numerous times when they felt some amount of fear and they courageously move forward because what, our, what we need to know, not our rational mind as much as our unconscious mind is, that fear, number one, doesn't always mean danger, even though it always feels like it means danger. And number two that fear doesn't need to mean that we're immobilized. We can notice fear, acknowledge fear, be willing to feel fear, and then courageously move forward anyway. And because what a lot of people do is, I feel great fear, and it's like, what do I do? And they're waiting to not feel the fear. Well, you don't have to wait till you don't feel the fear. And you also don't want to unreasonably push yourself into the fear because that'll just make you more afraid. Um, It's just sort of recognizing the fear and going, okay, I'm afraid, but there seems to be this deeper instinct that wants to open anyway. And that's the deeper thing that you're trying to get in touch with. It's something that's deeper than the survival instinct. Um, When we start to access that in a courageous way, or in an obvious way, we can start to move through this fear um, because we found there's something more important. That's an oversimplification, but um, a lot of it is just is normalizing the fear and, and, and reminding somebody, look, the worst that can happen is you can, have a, you can have a few minutes of sort of a waking nightmare, but nothing's actually happening. You know, you're sitting wherever you're sitting, you're actually quite safe. It's, it's just something inside of you is afraid of letting go. And, and it has its reasons for being afraid to let go, so be a little bit of compassion with it. You know? One of the things you point out in this section of the Wake Up Challenge on discovering the ground of being is that we can bring our loving devotion to taking the leap into the empty space that we discover in our lower belly. How does loving devotion help us at this point? Well, it goes back to where we were with the heart, right? And, uh, well, because, look, the, what we encounter in this, you know, down, down in the gut, what we're really encountering is the great unknown, right? All those unknowns. Who will I be if I let go and surrender? Or what? And 
and and we can either you know approach that as some sort of technical problem we have to solve but that doesn't that doesn't evoke very much of our depth or we can see it as well it seems that in some way this great mystery of being has been has been part of the spiritual impulse from the very beginning right it's it's what pulls us like a moth to to a flame towards it and so even though at a certain level it may be a little scary because it's so incredibly unknown, but it's useful to remember, like, this is the object simultaneously of, of great devotion. You know, um, uh, the numinous, the deeply spiritual, has a long history of e- evoking some amount of in- uncomfortability because we are encountering something after all that's infinite and and beyond conventional knowing so but but we can approach that with a kind of heartfulness like a sincerity you know like like we are really to whatever extent we can we're devotedly offering ourselves um which is i call sometimes i'll call this like self-giving which is when you give your attention as an act of devotion to something rather than just uh, as a spiritual exercise. You know, like I'm, I'm giving my attention to my belly. Okay, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm being mindful of my belly. Okay, but what's it like if you devotedly offer, because offer your attention, because after all, our attention is extremely high, highly valued. We don't give our attention to that many things during the day, actually, that we don't have to. And so this is a really important thing. So maybe it's useful for us every once in a while to remember that when we give our attention, we're actually giving something of incredible value and that might even be worthy of offering it in a devotional attitude. Um, and that, that's, that really, really helps because, well, it pulls upon some deeper dimension of our being. And I think in the end, Tammy, it also, it can come from this very rudimentary intuition that even the great mystery that we encounter in these these deepest experiences, um, that somehow we're not apart from, from, the, from that. Somehow we're not apart from the mystery, even when we feel like we're apart from the mystery. Somehow there's a reason that we're simultaneously drawn to the great unknown within us like a moth to its flame. We're drawn towards it, but also a little afraid of it. It's, um, but that's the spiritual domain, isn't it? And that's where to get your heart along with you, you know, to be emotionally... I was going to say committed, but it's not just committed. It's emotion, emotionally invested, like that you really care. And yeah, and then it's an act of self-giving, really. Mm-hmm. That attitude, like the, an act of self-giving, is it's just indispensable, and yet it's very hard to, you know, articulate really clearly. Mm-hmm. I find it very inspiring. Thank you. You know, the last week of the Wake Up Challenge, you call putting it all together. This is the fourth and final section. And listening to you describe this program, I want to ask you this. I want to see what you think, which is, you know, here I've been at this, as you know, Adya, here it sounds true, 34 years, a long time. And I've talked to a lot of people who I think have had a mental level of awakening to awareness. And yet it's seemed to me in getting to know them that they've had a hard time embodying it, putting it all together, bringing it into all of their relationships, conversations, business, all of that. And I wonder if part of the reason it's so hard is because people haven't awakened their spiritual heart in the way that you teach in the wake up challenge. So it's, there's this mental level, but without the spiritual heart really being fully open this last embodiment section can't come online consistently. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you reflect on there, Tammy, because I've had very, very much the same sort of um, 
um, reflection because, I mean, first of all, it's not uncommon for, you know, and any of us. We have our, our deeper moments, our more meaningful moments, and then we seek to live them and we bump up against our, our you know, our imperfections as human beings, I guess you could say, is a straightforward way of saying it. But I do, I think that the awakening level of heart, you know, nowadays in the modern spiritual culture, well, in the non-dual culture, one of the powerful gifts that the sort of non-dual spirituality has to give, in many ways, is its, it is its non-duality, right? Um, but it, it has to do with its, its directness and its, um, it, it's, it's, Teaching can it can be focused. It's really powerful to focus on awareness as a. That's why I do it in the first mode of awakening. The the part that's not generally it's in some of the traditions it's there, but not generally as highly developed is the whole part about awakening at the level of of heart because it's a much bigger it's a much bigger thing, right? I mean, it's a bigger thing in the sense of not only embodying what we know, but getting our, like, our, uh, our life orientation right. Like, what am I devoted to? Devoted to. What do I love enough to devote my, my life to, towards? I've found that any deeply happy person I know have come up with in their own way some something bigger than them their own human self that they're really devoted their life around and it could be a million different things you know but i think this is a really important thing and i think awakening at the even but having said that even awakening at the level of heart doesn't necessarily mean we have our emotional lives all together because it can help tremendously with our emotional life, but it doesn't necessarily confer upon you exactly how to... It, you know, spiritual awakening doesn't model how to be in a good, healthy relationship. It can show you the unity of all existence, but it may not show you. Like, how do I have a conversation with somebody that's deep and meaningful and enriching? It's, it may still be a mystery. So I look at this whole fourth part as... Yes, we're integrating our deeper insights and, and awakenings and, 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 and pulling the veil back on what might be getting in our way, back to the honesty and self-truthfulness um, component where we have to be willing to be truthful with ourselves and see, like, hmm, this may, not be, this may be sort of an, a weak area for me. So it's, it's integrating our insight, but it's also recognizing that there's a, there's a real utility in being a good, functional, relational, mature human being. And sometimes in spirituality, we suffer under this delusion that if I have a big enough awakening, I will just become sort of expert in all these domains of human experience and human relating and find out it's not quite that quite that simple. The awakening of the heart, I think, is just indispensable, for sure. And I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, when you start to hear spiritual teachings that start to feel like they're a bit too removed from everything and abstracted, that's often the case that they're not really grounded in the, in the reality of the spiritual heart, because, of course, the spiritual heart is the, the perception of the connectedness of of existence, and I do think we treat not only other people but our environment and things differently when we really feel deeply connected to them. So I would agree that I think it's a, a super important part of the picture. Yeah, it sounds like you agree, but you're also pushing it a little further, which is saying yeah. that's an important step, but there's a further step that is required, which is a type of values, clarification, and embeddedment, like embedding those values in your day-to-day activities. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Because what I saw, and this came as kind of a surprise to me, that so far, anyway, any, every sort of spiritual insight, every awakening has its, its own potential high-level delusion. 
honest with it. So delusion can survive incredible insight, at least some amount of delusion, right? So for, an, for instance, we can have an awakening at the level of awakened mind where we feel ourselves to be pure awareness. I'm not the body. I'm not the mind. I'm not my ego. I'm, I'm this pure awareness sort of hovering gently above, you know, the, the fray of, of, of the human roller coaster. And that's not, it's not that that's not true, that that's not a legitimate perspective. It's, it is true, and it's very useful to have. But, if, but from that, one of the high-level delusions you can get involved in, was, which is, number one, that's all that I am. I am this just free-floating, formless sense of awareness, and nothing else has anything to do with me. That's, an, a, that's a delusion. Um, and number two, one of the delusions is from that perspective, especially if it's deep in the awakened mind, the world can can be experienced to be kind of like a flimsy illusion, almost like a dream that's that you question whether it's really happening or not. I guess you could say it's almost the byproduct of a certain dimension of consciousness. But and people can therefore conclude the world is is an illusion. Why involve yourself? Uh, you've had your insight, even if your ego's a mess, it doesn't really matter because it's not who you are, and you know, so the thinking goes. But number one, that's extremely dualistic thinking to begin with. Um, it's not true, which is probably the biggest hit. It's not true that we're just one little, one little spectrum of human consciousness and we can just summarily dismiss our, ourselves from all the rest. That's that's not true either. Um, so it's interesting to me that even insight itself, if we're not really careful, has its own sort of embedded potential illusions, or let's just say misunderstandings that we can, we can bump into. And, you know, to be pure awareness is a pretty safe place to be. So people have their reasons for not wanting to re-engage with the spiritual heart. You know, it, it can remind them of from some scary stuff. But the result of engaging from the spiritual heart actually goes a long way to healing them from a lot of that scary stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, um, that's just one example of, of you know, how, how we can even get confused with our own insight, you know. Well, Adya, I have to say you have risen to the challenge of creating a 30-day wake-up challenge. I want to thank you for that. That's for the whole Sounds True audience, and especially listeners of Insights at the Edge. I want to invite you all to please join me. I'm going to be taking the 30-day wake-up challenge and our team here at Sounds True. It begins on Thursday, August 15th. It also features two live question and answer sessions with Adya where you can ask him your questions. And, you know, Adya, the fact that you're willing to be so practical and to simplify so much and to not get entranced with all the sophisticated nuance to the point that you're not willing to just put it out there for everyone to benefit from the core and the essence, which is what I think you've done in the Wake Up Challenge. I just want to thank you for that because it's a certain type of courageous forwardness on on your part to just put it on out, the 30-day Wake Up Challenge. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. It never would have occurred to me that it was a particularly courageous thing to do. It's just bumbling along in my own nature, I guess. I I put it down to, but but I'll but I'll take the I'll take the courageous interpretation anyway and but I will say, Tammy, that I think I put more work into this than anything I ever done for Sounds True. Wow. Which is ironic because it's one of the shorter, you know, when it comes to making a book or a lot of mm-hmm. the other projects, it's another project, but like I said, I just went so much over making every sentence that I could count that it's certainly the best I could do at the time. And I love a good challenge, so I kind of, I, I joined everybody that would take it. If I took it upon myself as a challenge, like, can I, can I up-level the way I deliver this stuff so it's as effective as possible and well, we'll find out how effective that was, but I enjoyed stepping into the fray and giving it a good shot. And very 21st century of you. 
<laughs> for, for a very old school guy. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I a 30-day challenge that you can take on your mobile device. Come join us. Uh, starts on August 15th. Thank you for listening to Insights at the Edge. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at soundstrue.com forward slash podcast. And if you're interested, hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. And also, if you feel inspired, head to iTunes and leave Insights at the Edge a review. I love getting your feedback, being in connection with you, and learning how we can continue to evolve and improve our program. Working together, I believe, we can create a kinder and wiser world. Soundstrue.com. Waking up the world.